When I say Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey finished in port wine barrels, your brain probably goes straight to Angel's Envy. And we've talked about it on the show. We've talked about bourbons versus finished bourbons. Why does it say finished in port wine barrels on the bottle? Well, fortunately enough, I had a stranger reach out to me online and offer to give me his expertise on the topic. So today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Angel's Envy founder and Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Famer Wes Henderson to talk about everything from Angel's Envy and how it got started to Wes's father's previous resume before Angel's Envy that some of you might not realize. We talk about finished bourbons and how they're different from plain bourbons and why it's important to have that finished in port wine barrels at the end of the label. We talk about all sorts of things and Wes did not hold anything back. He let, he answered all my questions and you guys know I'm a whiskey geek and, and he didn't hesitate to answer any of my questions so it was fantastic. I hope you guys enjoy this interview as much as I did because it is an amazing dive into not just Angel's Envy, but the world of bourbon in the circa 2008-2010 era when Angel's Envy was being created. We get to dive into all of that and get, like I said, all my geek questions answered. I actually finished this bottle, just had a little bit of a pour left in it, and finished it during this interview with Wes, which is a pretty great way to finish a bottle of Angel's Envy. But without further ado, I will cut to that interview now with Wes Henderson, the co-founder of Angel's Envy and Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Famer. Wes, there. I, I first of all, I want to thank you again for coming on. There's so much that I want to ask, but I always like to start with something that I think is a pretty easy question, and that is, how did your love of whiskey begin? From the womb, <laughs> from birth. Um, yeah, really, I mean... I mean, that, that just I'm kind of being goofy about it, but being born in you know the industry with my dad spending his entire career, my entire childhood um, in the whiskey industry. I guess I've been in it, you know, for you know for 57 years. But um, did I really appreciate it and care about it and understand it for a long time? Probably not. Um, so it's just over the years, you know, as I began to appreciate dad's legacy and appreciate bourbon and all these things came together, and then now I'm probably one of the biggest cheerleaders for bourbon on the planet. Okay. Now, where do you remember a certain time? Now, th your situation's a little unique since you've been, you know, in the bourbon world since birth, basically. Is there a specific time you remember trying it and thinking and appreciating it? Or do you think you always had that appreciation because you understood with, with what your dad did for a living? I mean, dad was a scientist and he'd be the first to, you know, to first to say that. You know, he did not. And, and really up until the last, you know, several years, nobody cared who made the bourbon. And um, so, I mean, I mean, I understood bourbon. I, I guess I appreciated it from a scientific standpoint because I was always a science geek. So I'd go to work with dad in the lab on weekends when I was little. And, I, you know, all I really uh, understood, appreciated was the science behind it. And, and you know, for really for a long time, you know, for, for a number of years, people around the world didn't appreciate the history of bourbon. So it wasn't until much later, you know, that I that I really started um, understanding and, and appreciating and enjoying it. And I'm talking as, you know, as an adult, you know, as a, uh, well, I mean, not you're supposed to drink as a minor anyway, but <laughs> you know what I mean? As an adult, yeah. as an older adult, um, did I really start getting the totality of appreciating bourbon and probably just in the last 20 years or so have I really gotten an appreciation and understanding and, and, and a diverse palate for, for bourbon. Okay. Now, for those who don't know, could you maybe break down what that looked like, what your dad was doing prior to you guys founding Angel's Envy? And we'll, we'll get to Angel's Envy, what makes it different and all of that good stuff. But prior to that, could you break down what that looked like and what led you guys to Angel's Envy? Sure. Um, well, I mean, really what ultimately led us to, to Angel's Envy was, you know, dad had a 40-year career at Brown Foreman. You know, created Woodford Reserve, Gentleman Jack, Jack Daniel, Single Barrel, a bunch of other stuff. I spent some time working there as well. Uh, Dad had been retired for several years when I decided to start Angel's Envy. So um, pull, I yanked, I went down and told Dad when I actually went up to, to Kentucky from Florida, told Dad what I wanted to do. And Dad uh, agreed to come out of retirement and, 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 and work with us then. So that's really kind of where it, where it all hatched. But it was the culmination of, of years and years and years of Brown Foreman. Um, the dad was done. Yeah. I mean, really, and, and, he, and, he, and he could have been, should have been. Woodford was a walk-off home run and that's not a bad way to end your career. But, you know, he, he I kind of sucked him in, you know, <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm like, dad, this will be fun. You get to work with me. You get to work with your grandsons. 
And, you know, it wasn't a hard sell. It really wasn't. Yeah. He could have had a walk-off home run, and then he came back and you guys hit a grand slam together, it seems. <laughs> I, I think so. No, I think you're right. Uh, you know, it. Um, I, I mean, when we got back into it, we, we had no clue what we were getting into. And we didn't have any aspirations of doing anything other than creating a little bourbon, a little craft bourbon brand as a family. You know, we did not uh, set a goal to be a global brand like we are now. If you would have asked me in you know, 19 or 2008 when we started this thing, would I have expected to be where we are now? I would have, I couldn't have ever visioned it. Couldn't have ever pictured it in my mind and my wildest imagination. Wow. And so was it, was it always to be a, a finished product or did that come later? You just wanted to craft bourbon or did you know that that was what you were going for was the finishing process? When we first hatched the idea, no, we, we did not, you know, uh, develop it on the basis of being a finished bourbon. It just evolved that way. And getting dad out of retirement, I wanted to really stimulate his his creativity and, and you know, not have him excited just to be out of the house again and, and working with us. But looking at things that he might have done years ago or ideas he had that, that weren't the right time or weren't perfected or, or whatever and, and, and start talking about those things. And we kept coming back to secondary barrel finishes and uh, as something as a key differentiator. Mm-hmm. And we, we needed to. We needed and wanted to come into the market with something that was unique. So, you know, that, that kept coming up in the conversation and coming up in the conversations. We're like, okay, that's a great place to start. We didn't necessarily think we were going to build the brand around finishing. Okay. You know, that was going to be our first effort. Uh, but we had a number of different finishes we could do. But we knew we wanted to do a bonded release. You know, we, we wanted to toy maybe with single malt, with, with other, you know, mash bills and, you know, unfinished whiskeys and stuff like that. But we just kind of latched on to finishing at Angel's Envy and that's the sandbox we stayed in. And I, I wasn't always happy with being in that sandbox exclusively, but it, it kind of worked for us and, and we were the first to really be successful with it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that Angel's Envy was the trailblazer for the finishing of bourbons. It It's done overseas with scotches and with Irish whiskeys, but Angel's Envy, if, if you look into it, where, you know, the first big names in finishing, it, it was Angel's Envy. Now, obviously, I was not in the uh, business of drinking bourbon at the time that Angel's Envy came out. So I can read about these things, but I'd love to hear it from the horse's mouth. I mean, what what did the landscape of finishing, if there was even any, of finishing bourbon look like at the time that you guys came up with this idea? There, there wasn't a landscape. It was a blank canvas. It really was. Back in the, the uh, 90s, uh, Jim Beam had uh, released their masterpiece, uh, which was a finished bourbon. Uh, I think it was finished in uh, uh, sherry barrels or maybe even port barrels. It, it's been a while. I've got a couple bottles, but um, it was okay. It wasn't great. It was very expensive. And there was no way back in the 90s you were going to support a price point for what they you know, were wanting to charge for. Beautiful packaging, all that stuff. Wrong time, right idea, wrong time. Mm-hmm. So when we entered into the, the finishing arena, you know, there was a lot of noise about, you know, is this really bourbon? You know, have we pushed the envelope too far? Um, you know, this debate, it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge debate, but you know, there, there was some noise. I call it more, more noise in the background, especially by, by, you know, bourbon, let's say bur- more bourbon purist types of individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had good, healthy debates about it. And, and we settled on, look, it's, it's not bourbon, it's bourbon finished in port wine barrels. You know, I mean, that that's really, and that's what it is. That's what it says on the bottle. That's what's in the bottle. So, um, so the land, it was a wild west. It really was, but we were the first to capitalize on it. And I still think to this day, we do it better than anybody else. Um, we have an enormous amount of creativity in how we approach finishing. We have, uh, you know, different degrees that we do our finishing. And I think we just have a, a good uh, a good view on how that should be done. Uh, now there's a zillion of them out there. Yeah. Which is which is okay, you know, and, and some of them I like, some of them not so much. Uh, I, what I don't like is, is when you use finishing to mask whiskey that's kind of not so great. Yes. And so that is what I want to talk about next. I don't want to lose bourbon versus bourbon finished in port wine barrels, but it is important that we discuss because – so in some locations on the internet, <laughs> um, there are finished bourbons being talked about as 
being exactly what you said, taking a whiskey that is subpar and covering it up with, with extra sweetness or with some other flavor of a different spirit or wine. And you mentioned um, when Jim Beam did it that maybe to you, you thought it didn't work quite as well. Angel's Envy, arguably, based on the success of it, works very well. And I'm curious as to different knobs that you guys turned or different things you looked into in order to get the kind of balance that you have that created this profile that is known for having that that sweetness and that bourbon and neither one really overpowering each other. It balances is the best possible word I think you can use. And, uh, and there's... Balance doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be in the middle. Mm -hmm. it, it means that the nuances have to be balanced in a way to where they work together. For example, you can still be all the way to the right or all the way to the left as far as uh, a taste profile. But as long as when you are all the way to the right or all are all the way to the left, you have balance and harmony in those in those extremes. So um, I, I think that's the uh, that, that that's the key to it is to have that you know that that rich balance and Angel's Envy we set out to to do that. My dad was about subtlety and finishing, and we really embraced that. Even though when I jumped to the rye when I created the rye, it was a totally different ball game on finishing. It, it was the extreme, um, but but Angel's Envy we liked the subtlety. We liked the 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 fact that it was very approachable, yet. It had it had complexity, so it was something something approachable for somebody new to the bourbon world. Mm -hmm. And there are some brands out there that are mentioned a lot of times with with good introductory bourbons. Maker's Mark's a great one. Um, you know, it's one of those bourbons that's that, that's it's it's got a good presence. It's not too much. It's not too little. Um, it's a good something to bring somebody into the category. I think Angel's Envy kind of fits there. But where we take it further though is that, and sometimes it's hard to have both. Sometimes it's hard to have that that accessibility and the complexity. You know, sometimes yeah. you almost got to kind of dial it down to get that approachability. But we, we really got that balance of approachability and complexity, which is why I think it works so well. Yeah, and it still does. Yeah, I think that I think you hit the nail on the head that it it's, it's not necessarily a balance of sweet to spicy or bourbon to wine. It's that balance of you've got the sweetness that makes it easy for beginners to drink but the complexity that makes it interesting enough to continue to drink and that, you know, veteran drinkers still enjoy it because as you've mentioned with, with covering up some cheaper whiskeys with finishes as some, some, uh, brands are being, uh, what's the word accused of nowadays, some brands, um, you get the, the, the loss of balance isn't, Oh, it's, you know, just too sweet or it's just too spicy. It can be, Oh, it's nice and sweet. It's got a little bit of spice, but, I'm only really getting the finish. I'm not, I'm not, or I'm only getting this profile and I'm getting these few flavors and I can't really pick it apart any more than that. It almost, it's, it's riding that line between being a flavored whiskey. It's not a flavored whiskey, but it comes across more that way to some folks and the finishing process is not cheap. So when folks get sell, sold these bottles that can be incredibly expensive and that's the case, uh, you can see how that that balance is really necessary, which we we do see with Angel's Envy. Is that the product of specific? I mean, I'm sure it's all of these things, but in terms of what you guys looked at, did you see anything with a specific type of port wine or a specific duration in the barrel or a specific bourbon that you put into that barrel prior to going into it? Or could you just break down how each of those factors played into? creating the profile that you that you deemed to be angel's envy sure and, and let me let me go back just a little bit and, and mm -hmm. address something you just said about um, harmony complexity and, and and all those things it's very possible to have all these wonderful flavors but if they're jumbled up in one big mess you can you can't pull anything out of it then you've got all these great flavors but you know, there's so many layers and, you know, the things are buried here and buried there. The nuances you can't really appreciate. And I think the true artistry in, in this is to be able to get it to dance between the different flavors and to layer it in a way to where you can experience, you know, all those things as opposed to and the rye is another good example. I know I'll keep coming back to it, but because it's such a powerful flavor with that rum barrel finishing, um, that, that's where the risk there and the risk lies with having so much going on in that glass 
then you can get up. You can just get this big mess. But um, mm-hmm. with with the port finish, you know, getting back to answer your question, um, there there are so many ways to influence the the final product. Um, you know, certainly the bourbon you start with. Um, we sourced our, our bourbon initially. Um, to this day, we've never talked about where it came from. Um, everybody guesses, and most of the time, guesses wrong. Um, <laughs> but it was part of a, of a very famous uh, inventory stock. I almost wish I could talk about it. Maybe one of these days I can. But um, so we got a hold of this inventory, and we, it was phenomenal. It really was, and it was so cheap compared to how much bourbon is today. And um, so, so we knew what bourbon we had. So how do we take this bourbon and achieve that that finish that we want? And we talked about several different fortified wines. We talked about port. We talked about sherry. We talked about Madeira, Sauternes. You name it. All, all kinds of different potential finishing barrels. Uh, tequila. Um, you know, you name it. Different wine. Different uh, different other different other wine barrels. But I kept coming back to port. And honestly speaking, the port barrels were easier for us to get. So that was our jump point. You know, it didn't matter where we started because we knew we were going to make, be able to make good whiskey, good finished whiskey, no matter which route we went. So, you know, I mean, I had a good route to get the port barrels. I had a broker in Portugal. I tried many different types of port and I settled on, uh, you know, I wanted to have port with a story, some exotic port that, you know, they made five, five bottles a year and, you know, all this something with a big backstory, but we ended up with Ruby port, which is probably the least sexy of all ports, but it is a barrel port. Not all ports are barrel aged. So, you know, we are also restricted there too. And we eventually moved to Tawny. Um, but, uh, the, the, the Ruby port just worked the best. So, so that you're balancing the, the, the type of bourbon, the type of port, the number of uses of the port barrels for finishing because you know if you're using them over and over again you're going to get diminishing returns as you use them right the length of time that bourbon is aged in the original barrel the length of time that the bourbon is finishing in the secondary barrel where you're doing this finishing you know are you are you putting it in a you know in, in a warehouse on a pallet are you sticking it in corners of a rick house you know where where you're not just getting a finishing you're getting a secondary maturation with the european oak so I know that's a long-winded answer to your question, but it's a long-winded because there are a ton of factors that go into play there. So all those things have to come together in a way that that created that layered, approachable, complex brand that is known as Angels Envy now. No, I, I think all that detail is necessary because I, I think it helps put into perspective that this is not you've got flavor A and flavor B, you slap them together, you get flavor C. I mean, it's it's much more complex than that. And well, I, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Well, it is. I mean, it, and you can vary a blend by. Here's a quick example, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of going off the rails. Well, not really. Um, let's say you're doing a blend, and you get this. You're blending all these different barrels together, and you find a barrel that that uh, uh, has got this uh, wonderful uh, sherry or uh, cherry flavor to it that you really love. And let's say you pour half of that half of that barrel into the blend, and you're like, "Oh man, there's that cherry." You know, I love that cherry. I love. I'm not talking, you know, flavored cherries, but you know what I mean. That, yeah. That, that 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 cherry flavor that you get in bourbon. Mm-hmm. And then you think, "Well, okay, I want to kick that up a little bit." So the, the common thought is, "Is okay, we'll dump the rest of the the barrel in there, the one that tastes so much like cherry, and we're going to get more cherry." Well, sometimes you can get that. Often it's possible or you not get any results or you can cancel it out. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it happens on a molecular basis. So what you're, what the common realm of thought is that by upping one, one variable, then you're going to get that variable back uh, uh, expanded. Mm-hmm. It's possible to get it back expanded. It's also possible to lose it entirely. Um, so that, that's what's, that's, what's fun about, about doing blending. So it can, it can vary by 5%, 2%, whatever. And, and you can have a completely different ending. Yeah. And I think anybody, if you've ever tried just home blending, like in a glass, you, you can see that immediately that a plus B almost never equals C. It's always some weird right. combination of the way the thing, the, all the different things come through. Um, and I do want to add a little bit of context too, cause you mentioned the port finish and a lot of my listeners tend to be newer into the whiskey world and you might hear port finish and think, well, obviously they went with port port's so 
common with bourbon. But I want to I want to add the context of what you said earlier when you guys did this. This was a blank canvas. So the reason port is now common is arguably because of the success of Angel's Envy. I, I think it'd be fair to argue that. No, I, I don't even think you have to argue it. I mean, <laughs> if, if you go back and look at what was out there, um, you know, there just there wasn't much out there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was one in Washington, it's Washington State, and I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. But uh, you know the. We were we were, we were the first, and then mm-hmm. you know, boom, boom, boom! Everybody kind of came into the game, which I love. I, I love the and, and all port finishes aren't created equal, right? Yeah, I mean, all finishes of the same you know variety of barrel are, are not created equal. I got into one of the biggest fights I've ever had with our marketing team years ago in a meeting for saying something boneheaded when when uh, we were talking about doing a sherry finish, and our marketing director, you know. Uh, exclaimed that we can't do a sherry finish because somebody else did it. I'm like, we're going to do our, our uh, interpretation of a sherry finish. That's, that's how we're going to handle that. And that's what you're seeing with, with all these other, you know, it's, it's their interpretation of what, what, what that should be like. And I think that's a, so that, that's why there's so many different ways to, um, you know, to cut the cake in that regard. Yeah, and they do truly come out, I mean, very different if you've tried multiple different finished bourbons. That's the other thing is people like to think that finished bourbon is going to just taste similar, and that couldn't be farther from the truth because different finishes can bring wildly different flavors, let alone the same finish at different spots in a rickhouse or different length of of finishing, those sorts of things as well. Um, I can probably name 50 variables that – maybe even more that come into play when, you know, we just mentioned a bunch of them. Right. But, but there are many more that, that we could sit here and just on a whiteboard and just boom, 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 you know, and go through them. Now, do we factor every one of those things in every time? No, <laughs> but there, there are some that are very key that we have to monitor and we have to, you know, to make sure that we, you know, we adjust those variables to get the result that, that we want. The others aren't as, all the others aren't as important. Right. And I'm, I imagine a few of those main variables are the ones that you really need when you're looking at uh, quality over time, continuing to give out the same product and have it be consistent. I imagine there are a few that you're always trying to make sure if you have to you know, change up any one of them, you want to make sure the product still comes out consistent. Got to have it consistent. And, and that's, that's the, the pitfall of having so many variables mm-hmm. is that you have so many opportunities to lose consistency or to have drift, you know, in your taste profile. And we've experienced that, you know, in the past, uh, you know, where, I, you know, I pick up a sample and over time and, you know, a sample that's a one year from another. And I think, you know, man, we, this thing's drifted a little bit and you gotta, you gotta recalibrate and, 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 and dial it back in. But yeah, there are a lot of opportunities to screw it up with, with all the, the extra variables there. Yeah. Now, what, is, what does that look like from your perspective, keeping track of that drift over time? Do you guys just have old samples or did you always compare back to specific samples uh, or how did that quality work? If you don't mind my asking. Yeah, I think that, that we saw it most uh, dramatically with one of our products and angels envy i don't want to talk specifics about it but mm-hmm. one day i picked it up and i'm like man this thing is you know and, and I, I wasn't doing daily testing you know like i was at the beginning we had a, a team mm-hmm. and, and I, I we weren't we weren't going back far enough to these reference samples you don't have to do it every day but you know once a month it's good to go back and, and pull some of your earliest samples and 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 recalibrate if you need to and and once every month once every two or three months or whatever and and we weren't doing that so that's where you get that you know if if any of your listeners or viewers or pilots uh, you know like i enjoy doing from time to time um you know you get this um uh it's a john f kennedy jr syndrome you know you're flying an airplane and you know your, your aircraft slowly starts to to turn one way or another and your natural in your inborn uh, ability to determine balance, you know, in your inner ear and everything like that, because it's happening gradually, you know, you heard the, the phrase flying by the seat of your pants, right? Right. So, you know, because that drift is happening and let's say you have no visual cues, mm-hmm. let's say you're in the clouds and you don't have the horizon, you don't have, you know, different things to be able to tell visually you're drifting. 
So, you know, before you know it, you know, you're drifting a little bit more and a little bit more and your body is not responding to it because it's happening so slowly. And then you get into a situation where you've got a dangerous, you know, attitude or whatever. And, you know, you crash your plane into the ocean. Um, that's kind of a dramatic example, but um, it's that that imperceptible drift that can happen if you're not constantly going back and, 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 and you know, cross-checking let's say, or recalibrating. Recalibrating is a good word to use as well. Yeah. I know for certain I have at least one pilot listening. I actually went to school for aerospace, so the metaphor is much appreciated. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Anybody that flies airplanes, you know, if you heard the JFK Jr. thing, the minute you heard it, you know exactly what happened. So, yeah, um, you know, it's it's a very, very common um, scenario with, uh, with flying. Yeah. And I can see how, you know, if you were taking, this is the thing that I think a lot of folks, you know, outside the industry, such as myself, just doing the tastings, don't think about if you're tasting January versus February, and then you taste March versus February, and then you taste April versus March, you're gonna have that drift and not have any idea because they could be so close that you can't tell. And then when you get to December, and try that versus January, could taste almost entirely different. You're basically playing a game of telephone with with the palate, which is why, as you said, those quality checks are so important in that recalibration. Your average consumer is is usually not able to detect, like where I say, you know, mm-hmm. we get drift. Just because I see it, unless it becomes dramatic, the 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 average drinker is not going to notice those things. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, now that's one of the reasons, though, at the very beginning, especially because we were sourcing whiskey. You know, we knew that that we didn't have as much control over that source whiskey. We had control over what we bought and what the mash bill was and where it came from and everything like that. That's why I put batch numbers on the labels is instead of pretending like those subtleties didn't exist. And by the way, with Angel, Angel's Envy is, is tremendously consistent. So, you know, it's really not as much of an issue as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, I thought, OK, so we may have some swings here and taste profile just because of what we had to work with. And, and we were new at doing it with finishing. So why not put the batch numbers on the bottle? And instead of pretending those subtleties don't exist, we embrace them. And I visioned a database online or, you know, a forum where people could talk about different batches. And, you know, we could keep a log of every batch number and the take We never did it. But I think in theory, it was, a, it was a great idea. So, you know, you embrace those but you don't want to drift too far. You don't want somebody to pick up a bottle today and love the shit out of it. And then, you know, eight months from now, pick up a bottle and say, oh, my God, I don't recognize that. Right. But you definitely don't want that. But it's okay to have little little, uh, little discovery points as you go along. Yeah. Yeah. And I should I should clarify when I ask this um, that it, it you're absolutely correct. It's not like an angel's envy thing. It's it's any bourbon, any whiskey you've ever bought that's supposed to be a consistent bottle. They have to do those types of checks. I mean, they have sure. to make sure – what they're doing is going to be consistent. Um, but yeah, having the batch numbers or in some cases having single barrels where you can have those little nuances, that is uh, also a fun aspect of, of the whiskey hobby as it is. It is fun. And, I, you know, you can pretend it didn't exist. And like, like you know, we were inclined to do it at the very beginning. You can say, oh, it's going to happen. Uh, but that was also we were early to the game on that. You weren't seeing, you know, we were, we were one of the first uh, brands to do these special blend programs. Now, the single barrel stuff existed out there, mm-hmm. but it was few and far between. You had large accounts like casinos or, you know, uh, corporations or whatever that would say Woodward, for example, and go do the special barrel. Mm-hmm. You know, there may only be 20 a year that somebody did. And um, but the special blend program we started years ago where we did exactly what I was talking about, a little bit of this, a little bit of that with the consumer. <clears throat> was uh was really one of the first to to go down that that road as well yeah that's a good point as well and the definitely the single barrel game wasn't what it currently is right now either so (laughs) the the small batches the single barrels it's another area uh that was yet to be discovered it's it's, it's important to put it into that context especially for guys like me who weren't drinking it (laughs) back then yeah Uh, it's huge now as you know i mean oh yeah single you can't you know i mean you walk into a store and I almost think there are too many of them out there now and, and they're very expensive. Yeah. You know, I, I really weigh, you know, when I look at a bottle that's, you know, 129 bucks or, you know, a hundred, any, anything over a hundred or whatever, I'm like, you know, that's a single barrel or a special pick or barrel pick, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it from, from a liquor store, you know, is it really, um, 
is it is it worth the money? Is it going to be that that dramatically different? Some yeah. of them are. Some of them are. Yeah, and I I think it's very important to make sure it's either a liquor store or a content creator that you trust and like their opinion. Um, especially, it can be the case with like a content creator. I, I just did my first barrel pick, and I promise this wasn't the case. But but it can be the case that it's almost a little bit of like a money grab. It's almost just a way of putting something out there with your name on it. Um, and they, as you mentioned, they can get very expensive. And yeah. I want to, I want to get to the, the, the reason we met actually, uh, because of a video that I had posted and that is the finished in port wine barrels side of the angels envy label. Now, I could I could give my opinions here, but I actually would love to just hear from from you and your perspective and your breakdown of bourbon full stop period versus Angel's Envy and and similar finished bourbons in the industry nowadays. The the difference? Yeah, for those listening, what right. makes it different and what makes you have to put that on the label? Okay. Um, and then yeah. yeah, and then we can just go from there. And that's a really that's a good question. And as I talked earlier about some of the noise that that happened when we started mm-hmm. doing finishing, is that um, you know fit, there are two categories here. There's the, the the straight bourbon category that the TTB has, and then there's a, a specialty category, which is where as of now finished whiskey set they sit in that category. So you know uh, distilled spirit specialty is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that that's that was part of the debate. Um, so it was very important to us, and and we learned at the beginning. I don't really got our hand slapped, but the TTB really drew it to our attention that um, when we're doing advertising, this is back in the day that that we don't just say Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, you know, Angels Envy Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, and you know we you say and it's a continuous statement, and that this is what's required on the bottle, and the bottle right in front of you says you know, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey finished in port wine barrels. It's a continuous statement. It's not, uh, some of the first bottles had a line, had a line on that statement where it said Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, and then uh-huh. a line, and then a line, and then finished in port wine barrels below that. We we got into it, I got into it, but, you know, we, we had some discussions with the TTB. They didn't like that line there because it, it, it was not a continuous statement anymore. Um, okay. you know, it's truth in what's in that bottle. And I always say, you know, you know, what is it? Well, it's exactly what it says on the bottle. You know, that, that, that's what it is. So, um, you know, it is, it is Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey with an added step, you know, yep. it's, it's really, I call it bourbon and more to break it down in a very, you know, probably far simpler way than it should be broken down. Does that come anywhere near towards answering your question at all? Absolutely. Yeah. I, it, I wanted to break that down for those listening because this has been a hot debate online. Um, you saw the video that I had posted that, that ended up just huge debates in the comments. And I didn't even mean to spark the fire that I sparked, but, um, it was great though. I love yeah, it. Exactly. It's a great conversation to have. And I think there's almost enough I don't want to say nuance cause you can just throw the word nuance out there at a lot of things, but there's almost enough in the laws that you get people arguing both sides. So a bourbon has to be finished in a, a new charred oak container, which Angel's Envy is. And it cannot be aged. The way it's worded, it's almost like it can't be aged in a used vessel and just be bourbon full stop, which is why you can say, well, it's a bourbon that has then been aged in a used vessel. But it's important to always, on the label, have that that is then aged in a used vessel. And I had that video where I, I basically, I think said kind of like what you just said. It's, I think I use a, a much looser metaphor, which is why some people were angered by it, that it's almost like you've got a, a, a caterpillar and then you've got a butterfly, the cocoon being the, the finishing barrel. And, um, some people didn't like that metaphor very much. Maybe it wasn't a very good one, but, um, I, I did also have a lot of people commenting. Angel's Envy comes by this very honestly. And it's even right here on the label about finishing in charred white oak barrels and then having the on the little uh, added paragraph you guys have on the yep, side there of the bottle. Exactly. It was very important for us to be transparent uh, yeah. from day one. And, and 
back in the you know 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011 or so, those years, you had a lot of new products coming to market, and there was a some lack of transparency with a lot, with, with the number of them, and in some cases, flat out uh, exaggerations or uh, er omissions, you know, material mm -hmm. omissions that 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 people should be able to know about. And we, we felt very strongly at the very beginning, the only way that we were going to be able to pull this off was by, and we talked about sourcing, you know, that was a dirty word for a long time. Yeah. Uh, even though distillers have been selling each other bourbon, hell, when Heaven Hill burned <laughs> down, other people made their bourbon. Go, 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 go do watch the YouTube uh, video of the Heaven Hill fire mm -hmm. and see, see all these warehouses burning to the ground and the distillery burning to ground, to the ground. And other people made their whiskey form for a long time. Till they were back, you know, they were back up. So, you know, we uh, we, we really thought it was important to to to. I think that gave us gave us a lot of legitimacy and a lot of respect uh, in the, you know, with with people that were initially skeptical. You know, like, well, okay, if the Hendersons are doing it, you know, you had Lincoln Henderson, who's the inaugural member of the Bourbon Hall of Fame. You know, um, there may be something here, uh, but it's interesting that these debates are still happening today. And I'll tell you, I encourage everybody watching this thing, listen to it. Don't take it too seriously. You really <laughs> don't, you know, um, and enjoy your whiskey and, uh, you know, however you like it is how you like it. And we can dissect the, the legalities and, and have fun with it. Uh, and, but that's all we're doing. We're having fun. And that's, that's, yeah. that's one of the reasons why I reached out to you when I saw that video. I thought it was, I thought it was great. And, uh, you know, I'm like, Hey, this is cool. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I totally agree. And I always try to have that little asterisk when I talk about these things that I'm not by any means saying finishing makes a bourbon elite or makes it less than other bourbons. The, the whole point is just that it's a different process that you can add on top of making the bourbon. And there you go. being that I deal with a lot of, of beginners, whiskey noobs being the name of the show, I, I get a lot of folks who say, you know, oh, I really liked Angel's Envy and I've, I've hated the other three things that I've tried. And they're naming three things that aren't finished or maybe they're extra spicy, a little bit harsher. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't expect you to like those if you specifically liked Angel's Envy. And that's why I like to have that clarity for people, especially sherry finish, wine finish. They're all going to taste different. Uh, so I think that that labeling is very important to helping folks to understand why it is that they like the certain things that they like and being able to branch out from there. For sure. And the labeling and, 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 and the brand communication has to be consistent in that regards too. And that was where the disconnect was, I think, at the beginning when we're mm -hmm. finishing that the marketing department sometimes took creative license a little too far and, and didn't remember that, that, you know, we have to, we have to re it's not like you're trying to hide these things. You're pretending like they don't exist. It's just that, you know, hell, it was a lot quicker for us to say Kentucky, Angel's Envy Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey than it was to say Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey finished in Portland barrels. For no other reason than that, you know, some of our initial marketing was, you know, we had to tweak it a little bit to to really accurately reflect what was what was in the bottle, which uh, I'm glad we, well, we wouldn't have done it any other way. I'm going to say I'm glad we did it that way. That's, you know, we've always been that way and we'll always be fully transparent like that. Yeah. And I, I can't say this from experience, but just from what I've heard, any labeling in general can be very difficult as to what you're allowed to put on whiskey labels in, in or any liquor label for that matter. So um, I, I imagine that it was, especially given that you guys were blazing a trail with this, uh, very difficult to figure out exactly how you could advertise it, how you could put it on a bottle, et cetera. Yeah. There was a lot of, and there was a lot of inconsistency on the part of the TTB. Mm -hmm. in, uh, in how they approve their labels. You, know, you can have one person one day approve a certain wording and then another person another day, um, you know, not approve it. You know, I think they're, they're much better now and it, was it took forever to get anything done. Now they're, they're much more streamlined. Most of it's done electronically and you have more, a much more consistent application and the TTB understands the category where they didn't understand it. It was the Wild West. <laughs> right know, back then so they just didn't they just didn't get it now now they now they they embrace it and now they get it yeah now i think since you're in the unique situation that you would know how when from when you guys were crafting this how it tasted prior to the the port finish how it tasted after the port finish um same with the rye as well uh, but specifically with just the the angel's envy bourbon finished in uh port wine barrels 
how did you specifically, if you, if you don't mind my asking, how did you specifically see the profile change from the finishing as you guys were discovering this specific recipe that you have? Hmm. Uh, we really, uh, I think we knew what we wanted, you know, okay. pretty early, early on. And, and we really, it didn't take us long to get there. It really didn't there. We were just lucky in that, in that regard. You know, we, I got the right port wine barrels from Portugal, you know, from the right guy. We, we, we selected the right type of port to start with. It, 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 it was very complimentary to the bourbon that we had. So mm -hmm. it wasn't that hard to piece it together. Uh, I wish, you know, I'm not gonna say, I wish I could say it was more complicated because it really doesn't matter, but um, <laughs> it didn't take us long to, to get there because we, we knew what we wanted. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the experience between you and your father, <laughs> figuring that you were just lucky, right? Putting that together. <laughs> well, I, I think that we were, we, we were, you know, and I appreciate that. I mean, that, that's very kindly put, but it, there still is, a certain amount of artistry and uh, ambiguity to mm -hmm. things when you start these projects, which is what makes it so exciting and what makes it interesting. Um, I mean, you can have as much experience as you want, but when you start mixing stuff together, you know, I, I think I have a really keen ability to, 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 to think of a taste profile that I want and work backwards from there, uh, which is, which is a kind of a, a different approach. Maybe I don't know how everybody else does it, but that that's what I did with the rye. Um, I knew what I wanted. I knew I knew uh, how the balance of the rum barrel and the the the, uh, the rye would 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 hopefully work out, and then I work work backwards from there. So, you know, you can have all the experience in the world, but there's still that artistry that comes along with it, and each painting's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, that doesn't sound you know elitist or you know I mean it, but there 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 is an art form to it. There's the science and there's the art which is what makes bourbon so fun and so cool, right? It's all those things. Yeah. I I mean, I have been uh, accused of being a bit too romantic about the the artistry of it as well. I I don't think there's anything elite about it at all. I think it's something that's accessible to everybody. And I've often mentioned how I love that it rides that line between science and art. Sure, if you add more rye to a bourbon mash bill, a lot of times you're going to get more of that spice. If you add more wheat, a lot of times you're going to get more of that sweet. But it is by no means, if you put this percent of this, this percent of this, this percent of this, you're going to get this flavor profile. Yeah, it's, you're right. It's an art form. But I do want to highlight that you said about picking what you wanted, knowing what you wanted, and then going for that. Because I think that is a, a testament to the art form of it. I think a lot of times to the consumer, you might think, these distillers probably throw something together. They find something that they think is bearable and then they bottle that and make money off of it. But there is an artistry to it. And the proof is in the pudding with you saying how you pick what you wanted and then you work backwards from there and figure out how you're going to achieve that profile. Yeah. Just cross your fingers and hope that, <laughs> that somebody likes it. <laughs> right. That's right. uh I, 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 I kind of joke about that. I mean, it's true if, you know, if, uh, you know, it's got to be something that, that folks like. I do believe there's a certain amount of trust that, that evolves with your consumers over time. And, you know, if, if, if people like what you're doing and can you, they see that you're consistently doing things that they enjoy, they're more likely and more willing to, to, to try and, you know, to, to take your hand and, and walk on that journey with you, even when you push the envelope, mm -hmm. which I think is, is great. You know, it gives you some license to, and that, that's really, I think our, our family reputation in the industry gave us kind of that license to be really innovative. You know, people were going to, as I said earlier, you know, what the Hendersons are doing it, maybe there's something there. So we had that credibility and which gave us a pass maybe, to to step out of the box and and I, I can I want to continue pushing that envelope and continue to you know with the people that are kind enough to watch this video um, you know wow I mean we would not be where we are today without that that curiosity and and, and loyalty to bourbon and angels envy and everything like that and I want to continue you know I'm retired now but you know uh, you know, if I ever do anything else, I want to continue that legacy of, of you know, of taking that journey with, uh, with, with people. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that. So for those listening who, who might not know, you did step down from Angel's Envy. If I'm not mistaken, it was in last year in 2022. Is that correct? Yep. January. Yep. 
Now, is there anything that you would like for folks to know about that you say is in the future for you that you can or would disclose? Um, I've been keeping busy doing some other stuff. Um, you know, if you look on my Instagram profile and uh, please uh, tag it, it's at KY Bourbon Maker, at yes. KY Bourbon Maker. Um, I, uh, I have a role in, in uh, law enforcement as a death investigator, which is, you know, which is kind of an oddball. Um, you know, and that's that that's kind of an extension of years in the fire service as a firefighter, like like uh, four of my boys are as well. So I've been keeping busy doing that. Uh, I did the uh, collaboration with Metallica on Blackened, which was came, came out September of last year. Blackened X, the Wes Henderson version of, of that, which was on the heels of the six, wildly successful Willet release that they did of Blackened X. And um the, uh, the try to scoop one of those up that, that black and uh, Wes Henderson has gotten some amazing uh, reviews. So, and, and that was all for charity that went to uh, tornado relief in Western Kentucky, which is ironically, I responded to that, that disaster as a uh, member of the mass casualty team. So, wow. I mean, we, we went there and um, handled all those, you know, those death investigations like we did in Eastern Kentucky it was a you know weird six months. We had the, the the horrible tornadoes in Western Kentucky, and then in Eastern Kentucky we had floods that killed a bunch of people too. So the team I was on responded to both Western and Eastern Kentucky, and handled all those all those fatalities. So you know to be able to 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 take a bourbon and work with Metallic, which was cool as shit, <laughs> and Rob Dietrich, their their master distiller, and uh, and create something that that we know the money went to help people who lost everything was a uh, was a real joy for me and and i want to i want to continue doing things like that i've got another collaboration with another brand uh, that's happening right now i can't really talk about it but um it's it's, it's going to be a pretty big collaboration so i'm just feeling things out uh, i am getting a little bored and itchy though um <laughs> you know so we'll see we'll see what uh but you know we'll keep talking man and i'll tell you what first time something pops up i'm gonna I'm going to holler at you. We're going to talk some more. I like the sound of that. I like the sound of you getting itchy. I, I can't wait to see uh, what the future holds for you because I'm certain that it, if it's anything like like you said, your your dad could have walked away with the walk-off. He came back and hit the Grand Slam. So um, if, if that's any indication, I think we're going to see some pretty awesome things. I hope so. I hope so. And you can probably hear my dogs barking too. You know, the one thing about COVID that, you know, just totally off topic, but yeah, you know, before when you did conference calls before COVID, if you heard a kid in the background or a, well, first of all, we weren't doing it at home, but you know, let's say you stayed home. So you heard a dog barking or a kid screaming, you were mortified. You're like, Oh my God, you know, it's so unprofessional now with COVID and all the zooms we've been doing and all that stuff. It's like, you know, hell, I should have just sat in my kitchen with the dog barking and the kids yelling. Which, which I don't hear anyway, after having six kids and, and, and six dogs, you know, I, right. I, I, you could drive a freight train through my kitchen and I wouldn't hear it, but it, it, it's, it's kind of interesting how that's changed. So I don't even, I don't even know why I apologize for the dog barking because we're all used to it now. Right. I mean, that's, I that's think what, so. That's life. And hey, thank goodness for it because it gives people like me the ability to do this and not have to have the Joe Rogan money to fly everybody to me to do the interviews. So it, it yeah. works out, honestly. <laughs> My kids asked me the other day, just just yesterday before yesterday, so why don't you do Joe Rogan? I'm like, well, Joe ain't called me yet. But uh, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be a fun, uh, you know, it's a, but it's tough doing podcasts like that because, mm -hmm. you know, being a brand owner, well, not a brand owner anymore because I sold it, but. Um, this is a whole lesson. Another lesson is that you really we're seeing extreme examples of this right now where, um, you know, you have to kind of keep yourself away from from controversy. That doesn't mean you can't, uh, you know, have viewpoints and have values and run your company in a certain way that's supportive of, of, of people. But, you know, you you got to be everything you say is being scrutinized. So, you know, I mean, hell, I don't even know if I do that show if I was asked to, but maybe I would. I don't know. Yeah, that would that would be a scary one. I mean, that biggest platform in the U United States, if not the world, right now, I think so. you can really mess your so you can you can step in it really big time <laughs> if you're not careful. And and we're seeing all kinds of examples of of you know of, of uh, corporate crisis because of you know because of that type of thing. And bourbon, by and large, has remained to, has kind of stayed out of the fray. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, it really look spirits and and you know, I mean, of course, we've got huge controversy about beer right now. These are things that should bring people together 
and um, you know, over a drink and, and really be able to talk about civilly, talk about things that really matter in mm-hmm. the world and break down those barriers of, you know, of, 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 of stuff that gets in the way of us being real and being human with each other. So it's, uh, you know, that's how I view it. And that's why I've, I've stayed out of, uh, you know, of, of that kind of stuff is I want to be a unifier with what we do. That sounds, that, that maybe sounds a little hokey, but, um, it's factual, you know, spirits have been, you know, for thousands of years have been enhancing our social experiences together and, and, and they'll continue to do so. Right. Absolutely. That's one of the foundational reasons I, I say we drink whiskey in, in my first episode ever is the, the camaraderie. It, it can bring people together. You don't have to be any, you have to be a certain age. That's the only thing, but you don't have to be from any specific area, any specific type of person to be able to enjoy it. And it's a, it's a great unifier. It really is any type of spirit. For sure. Yeah. As it should be. Now, one more time for everybody listening. Uh, I will put it in the show notes, but people can find you on Instagram. That's correct. That's right. Instagram and Twitter. I don't tweet a whole lot anymore. Um, but yeah, Instagram seems to be the, the, the fun place where I, where I hang out. All right. Yeah. And I will put that down in the show notes so that everybody can find you. Although I don't think they're going to have trouble finding the, the founder of Angels Envy. And for that reason, I once again have to thank you so much for taking the time out to have this conversation. I know as a, a whiskey nerd, um, being able to ask you these questions directly has been a heck of a treat um, and really getting that behind the scenes peek at, at Angel's Envy and, and the industry. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. And keep doing what you're doing. You know, keep, uh, keep those debates happening and, and, and those lively discussions. And, you know, and I encourage, as I did a minute ago, if you're watching this, you know, never take it too seriously. Um, you know, have fun with it because that's what we're what's what we're here to do, and uh, be civil to each other and 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 let's let's enjoy life and have a have a drink together. Thank you. Yes, we will. I will keep that going, and I'm sure in the future I'll have to have you on to have some more discussions about it. Absolutely, that'd be great. I would love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you again. Have a good rest of your night. You too, man. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you need more Whiskey Noobs content in your life, make sure you check out our Patreon page in the show notes. And if you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review. It only takes a couple of minutes, and they're way more helpful than people realize. If you want to do tastings alongside the show, make sure you join the email list by sending an email to whiskeynoobspodcast at gmail.com with a subject line that says email list. You'll receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at Whiskey underscore Noobs and on TikTok at Whiskey Noobs Podcast. Once again, thank you guys for listening. The Whiskey Noobs Podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.